Hi, everyone. I'm Rick Barron, your host, and welcome to my podcast, That's Life, I Swear. The game of Monopoly is probably one of the most well-known board games in the world. It's a game of strategy, luck, and skill that's been entertaining people for over a century. It's also a game that can bring people together or develop into arguments, accusing someone of cheating. Who invented this game that we love and dispute about? This story has some surprises. Let's jump into this. As I said from the outset, Monopoly has been around for years, and this game still has legs. Not too many board games can say that today. I thought, you know, I'm going to dig around and find out some information about this game. And much to my surprise, I discovered a lot of interesting information, not only about the game's invention, but its creator, or in this case, creators, plural. The game is one of the most well-known board games in the world, played by millions of people of all ages. The game is so popular that it's become a household name, and its iconic imaginary game pieces such as the top hat, the dog, and the thimble are recognized worldwide. Personally, I like the race card. But how did this classic board game come to be? Who invented it, and when? And what are some interesting tidbits? That said, let's dive into the history of this popular board game and its impact on popular culture. The game of Monopoly was created in the 20th century during a time when the United States was experiencing a period of rapid growth and industrialization. In 1903, a woman named Elizabeth Maggie, an American writer and inventor, invented a board game called The Landlord's Game. Not Monopoly. That would come later. The game was designed to teach players about the evils of monopolies and the benefits of a single tax system. Lizzie Maggie, she liked being called Lizzie, by the way, was many things during her life. She was an artist, a writer, feminist, and an inventor, a woman of many talents. She worked as a stenographer and typist at the Dead Letter Office in Washington, D.C. That's no joke. It was a repository for the nation's lost mail. But she also appeared in plays and wrote poetry and short stories. Lizzie had a very creative mind. In 1893, she obtained a patent for a gadget that fed different sized papers through a typewriter, which allowed more type on a single page. Now, be sure you check out my website as I provided a link to the patent page showing pictures of this gadget, which is pretty interesting, I have to admit. Now, having received a patent really got Lizzie motivated for future ideas. It was about 11 years later in 1904, Lizzie received her second patent. Now, the patent had nothing to do with upgrading the typewriter again. No. Instead, this invention was for the landlord's game, a square board with eight rectangular spaces on each side, set apart by corners labeled such things as, gee whiz railroad fare, a hundred bucks? And stop here. Labor applied to land procedure wages, $400. Now, as design updates happened over the years, the four corners would see changes such as go to jail and free parking. Now, the goal of the game was for players to circle the board, buying up railroads, collecting money, and paying rent. And she made up two sets of rules, monopolist and anti-monopolist. You see, the real purpose of the game was more of a teaching tool. She wanted to use a game as a means of teaching about the evils of amassing vast sums of wealth at the expense of others. Funny, over a hundred years later, 
and we're still talking about this injustice. Lizzie grew up during the early 20th century, which was an era of business expansion and progressive reform in the United States. She was a radical against the railroads, steel, and oil monopolists of her times. She told a reporter in 1906, and I quote, In a short time, I hope a very short time, men and women will discover that they are poor because of Carnegie and Rockefeller, who have more than they know what to do with. End quote. Lizzie was a follower of the economist Henry George, who advocated for a land value tax as a way of discouraging monopolies and promoting equality. The landlord's game was her way of illustrating George's ideas and educating people about the dangers of unchecked capitalism. The landlord's game was sold for a while by a New York-based publisher, but it spread freely and passed along homemade versions among intellectuals along the eastern seaboard in the United States. Fraternity brothers named Louis and Ferdinand Toon at Williams College had a play in how they manipulated the game in their version. Quakers living in Atlantic City, writers, and radicals like Upton St. Clair all had a say of how this game should be played. Parker Brothers bought Lizzie's game for $500, which was a lot of money at the time, with no royalties and a promise to manufacture the game under its original title without changing any of the rules, along with a picture of her on the box. Parker Brothers marketed a few hundred sets of the landlord's game and then completely stopped. Lizzie was not interested in profiteering from the game, but was happy that a major company distributed it. Over time, various versions of Lizzie's game was created, but it wasn't until the 1930s that someone came up with a version that beat them all. Enter Charles Darrell. Charles lost his job at a sales company following the stock market crash of 1929, and for a while he worked at various odd jobs and, like others, was just struggling to make ends meet during the Great Depression. One evening he had nothing to do, so he went over to go visit some friends who were playing a board game based on the concept of buying and selling properties. As Daryl played the game that night, he had an epiphany. He decided to come up with a version of the game, but with his design. Daryl's version featured a board that was similar to Lizzie's original design, but with a few key differences. For example, he added chance and community chess cards, which would allow players to win or lose money. And he also included tokens to represent the players. As this idea began to flourish, he drew what the board game should look like. Now, not having any large paper nearby, he did what any inventor did, improvise, and work with what you have. Daryl drew his game concept on the kitchen tablecloth. A game was already forming in his mind as he built little hotels and houses to place on his painted streets. Daryl's version of the game, which he titled Monopoly, became a huge success. It was easy to learn and to play and it captured the spirit of the times, with its emphasis on accumulating wealth and dominating the market. His game quickly became a cultural phenomenon, with millions of copies sold and countless imitations and spin-offs created. Darrell got his patent for his game on December 31, 1935, and then he tried to sell it to game companies, but they all slammed the door in his face. So he decided to sell the game himself, and it quickly became popular. He eventually sold the rights to the game to the Parker Brothers Game Company in 1935, and they began producing and selling the game on a large scale. The royalties from Monopoly made Charles Darrell 
a millionaire. The first game inventor ever to earn that much money. After Darrell's death, Atlantic City put up a commemorative plaque in his honor. It stands on the boardwalk near the corner of Park Place. So for those of you who live nearby, go take a look-see. Now there is some controversy surrounding Darrell's claim to have invented Monopoly. Some historians argue that Darrell simply copied the landlord's game and made a few changes, while others claim that he was the true inventor of the game. Regardless of who deserves credit for creating this board game, there's no denying the game's impact on popular culture. One of the most interesting points related to the game is how the game reflects and shapes our understanding of capitalism and the free market. On the one hand, Monopoly can be seen as a celebration of the virtues of competition and entrepreneurship, with players striving to outsmart and outmaneuver their opponents in the pursuit of wealth and success. The game could also be seen as a critique of capitalism and the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few. The game's emphasis on acquiring and monopolizing property can be seen as a warning against the dangers of unchecked greed and the social inequalities that result from it. Now here's some interesting data points. I won't give them all to you, but here's just a few. The classic game pieces such as the top hat, the shoe, and the thimble were all inspired by real objects owned by Charles Darrell. I mean, for example, the thimble was taken from Darrell's wife's sewing kit, while the top hat was a hat that Darrell wore himself. During World War II, the British Secret Intelligence Service, M19, developed a special edition of Monopoly that included real money and hidden maps and tools that prisoners of war could use to escape. The game was handed out to POWs by the International Red Cross and is believed to have helped some escape. Now there's more to the list, but just go to my website and you can see them all. Lizzie died at the age of 82 in 1948. In 1957, Daryl appeared as a mystery challenger on the TV panel show to tell the truth. He was 78 when he passed away on August 28, 1967. What can we learn from this story? What's the takeaway? While Lizzie McGee had good intentions in wanting to teach the evils of amassing vast sums of wealth at the expense of others, it just turns out that human nature, being what it is, that people are more in love with making a fortune. It is a game where players compete to acquire wealth by buying, renting, and selling properties. The game contains all the elements of success and failure in a real world, and the game's goal is the same as the human race. The acclamation of wealth. Well, there you go. That's life, I swear. For further information regarding the material covered in this episode, I invite you to visit my website which you can find on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for show notes calling out key pieces of content mentioned in the episode transcript. As always, I thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. See you soon.